0: Hello, I'm Eben Noby-Williams.
1: And I'm Scott Soschnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Let's look at our top stories of the week. Number one, Eben, the NBA, no surprise, heading to India.
0: They are, and uh, one of the teams... The, uh, no surprise. Sacramento Kings, <laughs> also not a surprise. Uh, Vivek Ranadive, uh, majority owner of the Kings out there. We've seen the, the NBA has been obviously an early mover into China. They were the first league to have a team there. They've been doing stuff in India for a while now. This seems like a natural next step for them.
1: Well, we should say Vivek, the first Indian owner, he signed an Indian player. What was his name? Let's see how, how on top of we. Oh, big guy. I don't, I, don't remember. Remember I don't remember his name. But he, he signed the first Indian player. We all know that Asia is a huge growth market for all sports leagues here in the U.S. They're, they're looking to outsource, uh, especially in a world where media is scaled. It's about delivering snippets and highlights. You don't have to necessarily play games there, but... You do want to have an engaged audience that watches your highlight shows, watches your shoulder programming. Nobody does that better right now in Asia than the NBA. Their players are stars. The sneaker companies take Steph Curry and Kevin Durant or LeBron James, go to Asia every offseason. Huge market treated like rock stars. We've seen that. Um, uh, Keep an eye on, by the way, one name to remember. Mukesh Ambani, the the richest Mm -hmm. man in India, just threw like a $100 million wedding for for his daughter. Mm -hmm. But Mukesh Ambani also... Uh, a, a sports fan, do not be surprised if moving down the ride five, tenure somehow some way, he, the NBA, align and create some sort, whether it's a branded league or something NBA related with him at the helm.
0: Or possibly a potential investment into a team. We've saw recently, you can kind of connect the dots, but we saw, I believe two years ago now, the first Chinese mi- minority investor, uh, in an NBA franchise, I believe, was in Minnesota. So yeah, you can see kind of how as the NBA's involvement within a, within a big growth opportunity overseas starts up, you kind of see the threads as they as they continue to work through.
1: All right, next story, I'm just leaving it up. Tossing to you, just a simple toss to you. Esports has a public company. Yeah, this is this
0: a special acquisitions group that was originally launched by Blackridge Oil and Gas decided they wanted to get into esports. Wait, wait,
1: Blackridge Oil and Gas? Oil and Gas, okay.
0: yeah. They decided they wanted to get into esports. They've bought both Ally eSports, which is a, uh, an eSports entertainment company specializes in eSports venues, and World Poker Tour, which is the, the group that, that launched and helped grow the business around the World Poker Tour brand. They bought those two properties, are rolling them together into a new public company called Allied Esports Entertainment, and their goal is to essentially take the poker model, you know, the uh, an online gaming phenomenon from a couple decades ago, right? It, it, it had a similar trajectory as esports in its early years, to take that model and apply it to esports, right? So that is both live shows, in-person events, that is creating content, selling that content across a number of platforms, and then launching their own online tournament site you know to, to to use the people who are attracted to that content and then roll that into the into the gaming so they're trying to own the entire ecosystem especially interesting now because as you said it's a public company those investors trying to get into esports and on on the public side of things they they traditionally have two options there's your your big publishers like Activision Blizzard, or there's your your smaller hardware producers, you know, companies like Razer uh, out in Asia. This presents a new option, uh, a group that is publicly traded and is going after the fan side of things and not necessarily the game or the hardware side.
1: I so love that I could absolutely shut my microphone off
0: <laughs> that Scott, segment. what do you think about that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, uh, the oil and gas company into esports. I love it. Uh, RSNs, Chicago. This one's going to be fun. Fun to watch. See how it works out. The Bulls. The White Sox and the Blackhawks, they're staying with NBC Sports Chicago. They will have equal ownership group of the RSN. Now, there's a big team in Chicago whose name I did not mention. Yeah, it's on the tip of my tongue. Right right there. Yeah. Yeah. So the Cubs looks as if they're going to partner with Sinclair on their own RSN. I mean, the Cubs brand is bigger, especially lately with the World Series title. Cubs think they can go on their own. Take a look at the Dodgers. Yes, they're fully funded, but they don't have carriage. What's the price going to be? But interesting to see that the Cubs have decided to go it on their own. Let's see how this works out. Yeah, we've
0: been hearing rumors for a while now that the Cubs were looking at possibly doing their own thing. As it stands right now, the four teams plus NBC are all 20% owners in in the NBC idea. So, you know, the the cub stake is going to be diluted to the other three. I was interested or the other four, sorry. I was interested in the, the fact that these other teams all get equal share. I, I would be surprised if and I don't even know what the breakdown would be, uh, but I would be surprised if the the White Sox, the Bulls, and the Blackhawks all draw an equal amount of attention and eyeballs to the RSN, but they're all equal
1: owners. Well what the Hawks would have, and you would think perhaps the, the hockey would have the lower Of uh, the number of all, but I mean it is a hardcore audience Mm -hmm. there. But what the Cubs do not have right now is winter programming which is integral to RSNs. That's why you have on on, let's say Yes Network. There's a reason why they took the Nets because that gives you winter programming opposite the Yankees. It's good to have something else year-round, especially for pricing and advertising. You're going to test here the Cubs brand. The Ricketts family is testing this Cubs brand to see how much demand, and you'll probably still have plenty of games freebie over the air, by the way, but learn from some other markets. RSN didn't work in Houston. That was a nightmare. It's not just starter network, and it'll work. I know this is the Cubs. I know this is Chicago. I get it, but there's still going to be a, a, a test of the brand to see what people are willing to pay per month for this RSN. And
0: the Cubs historically have done kind of their own TV thing, right? I remember growing up, Cubs games were available in, in New Jersey. Yeah, Superstation. Yeah, on, on WGN. Channel 9, WGN9, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, be interested to see how, how strong the Cubs brand is when it comes to, to standing up their own RSN alone.
1: It's time to get to this week's interview with Patrick Keane. He is the CEO of the Action Network. Patrick, thank you for taking a few minutes and chatting today. Thank you for having me. What should I be betting on today? Come on. You must know everything that's going on. What, what what should I be looking at today? What am I betting on? And I'm not a better, by the way, so tell me, what should I be looking at?
2: Well, hopefully the Action Network will be the first place that you come to make informed decisions about how you bet. I won't specifically tell you where you should be betting today because we want to be an impartial advocate for the more informed better, but ActionNetwork.com and the Action Network app is built to give you and help you make those decisions.
1: You said the informed better. What about the moron? What about me? Do, are you, do you want me, is there a place for me as well, just for entertainment and fun?
2: Absolutely. I mean, we think when we look at the Action Network as a platform, we can sort of inform what I call the shallow end of the pool, the medium end of the pool, and the deep end of the pool. Deep end being the person who bets like they do as a Wall Street trader. The shallow end of the pool is someone who is new to betting and maybe has, with PASPA being overturned and with legality becoming part of the equation, is trying to... Have edge with their friends, or have edge with their office, or have edge with the people they live with. I mean, it's really for all spectrum of betters.
1: You know, Patrick, we do take sponsors for this very podcast, and I think my bosses will be happy. Sounds like we have a target audience you might like.
2: <laughs> hey, we'll do anything to find additional customers. We're a subscription product, so anytime I can find someone who's willing to pay us their hard-earned cash to make better decisions about that, how they bet is is, is good for me.
0: So, Patrick, the Action Network launched in 2017, obviously earlier this year, a a pretty monumental Supreme Court decision that that allows states now to legalize sports betting. How big a deal was that in in, in the office at the time? I mean, that seems like a, a huge moment in Action Network history.
2: Absolutely. It was massive for the business. I think it's massive for the category, but I think we would have a great business even without that happening. I think if you look at the world in the U.S., there's 10 million active bettors, people that are betting a minimum of $50 a week. We think that only increases. We think there's this big opportunity to turn fantasy fans, people that are doing daily or weekly fantasy into bettors as more and more states get knocked down. But we would have had a great business without the Supreme Court coming in and making it legal in more and more states, but we think we have a colossal business with more and more states getting knocked down.
0: So you guys are kind of agnostic to whether they're gambling legally on a William Hill app, or if they're doing it on an offshore book, or just two buddies in an office, you know, laying a bet between each other on on what's who's going to win tonight's bowl game. I, I think
2: we can inform any of those people, whether you're using offshore books today, whether you're going to Vegas with your buddies this weekend, or to your point, you know, thinking about the box pool for the Super Bowl or thinking about a Thursday night football game, we we have this opportunity to sort of elastically appeal to any of those users, which I think makes this a massively uh, uh, potentially large business.
1: Patrick, tell me, what does your book look like when you're courting investors and the churning group is an investor? What does the book look like pre-PAPSA, and you just used the word colossal, what would that book look like post-PAPSA?
2: when we look at opportunity for revenue, there certainly is the subscription product which we have today, which is which is really the sort of the tip of the spear, if you will, in terms of revenue. But with PASPA being overturned and with the ability to work with operators, we have this opportunity to both drive present users of our platform into those books and potentially get a cost per acquisition fee for turning those uh, fans that also want to bet in those legal areas, be it William Hill, DraftKings, or FanDuel. And we think that that's a big opportunity for the business as well. It isn't today. We really, we're not in that business now. I, I see us getting into that business eventually, but right now we just want to build the best media platform. You know, we sort of ambitiously, to give you guys a nod, we like to think of ourselves as the Bloomberg for sports betting data and information.
1: We only charge, what, what are we, about $22,000 now? Uh, yeah, something like that. What's your, what's your pricing?
2: So we are ninety-nine a month.
1: Very Netflix of you, very Netflix of you.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, you got to be under that number. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, it's a very different product, obviously, than a Netflix or a Spotify. But I think there's, you know, consumer psychology about how they think about what they're going to willing to pay for for a month.
1: I have said, wait, Patrick, I have said many times on this show, I was, I'm always wondering what sort of psychological analysis went into like Reed Hastings' pricing, because there's got to be something to the number where, oh, I didn't use it this month, but it's on my credit card. Ah, let it ride. Did you do that? Was there a real study into what the proper price point was?
2: Absolutely. And the thing that's really unique about the internet or the web or mobile is it's the world's largest laboratory. You're able to see almost nearly instantly if offerings depending on price are going to work, but there's also sort of this in some ways an obvious consumer psychology. There's a there's a weirdly massive difference between 8.99 and 10.99 like so massive it's almost inexplicable even though it's two bucks. Um, and we, we really do try and think about a consumer, you know, I'm not one to walk in here and say, we're the same price as you're going to pay for a beer in Midtown Manhattan during a month, you know, or you're going to pay for two cups of Starbucks coffee, but that kind of thinking goes into a consumer almost subconsciously when they make these decisions.
0: I would think for you guys, there's also kind of a direct uh, return on investment for people for the money they put in, right? When I when I pay for Netflix, I, I'm paying a sunk cost for my enjoyment and what I get out of it. For you guys, there, there's kind of a direct line, I would imagine, for some betters in terms of, sure, I'm paying $7.99 for this service, but I'm making so much more on the gambling side of things that it pays for itself.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the calculus we hope consumers are making, and hopefully their decisions are going to be better, and hopefully you're going to ha- they're going to have more wins, but absolutely. I mean, we don't want to be in the business of the, the sort of touts that we all remember from magazines of 10 years ago or even 1-800 numbers and things that you see in, in, in really schlocky videos on the Internet. We We just want to on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, better inform these people and, and not be about touts and not be about that kind of equation. But we want them to, to realize that they're making better decisions and they're winning. You know, find your next win is one of our sort of mantras, and we think we can very effectively do that.
0: You mentioned the touts. You, we're not going to see John Anthony on uh, Action Network?
2: Uh, I don't think so. Not today. <laughs> uh, we we want to focus on talent and we want to bring in great people to the platform, but touts is not our business and it never will be.
1: It seems like such charlatan. It was great. But, you know, 25 years ago, CBS lost the NFL to Fox. And part of that CBS show was Jimmy the Greek. And I can't fathom what took so long. We knew forever that people loved this. What took so long for sort of a widespread media platform aimed at the folks who like to bet?
2: It's a really good question. I'm not sure the answer. When I look at sort of... Generation Z and millennials and Submillennials. this is all they think about. It's the reason they stay in the game. It's the reason they play fantasy. They like action in everything they do. I mean, it's funny you bring up Jimmy the Greek. My good friend Mike Lombardi, who was uh, a former NFL executive, always told me when he used to work at CBS and would walk through an airport with the Greek— he would get attacked more than Summerall. He would get attacked more than John Madden. It was, it was a huge part of the equation back in the day. And I don't know what happened psychologically in the universe, but it's really interesting because I think there's a massive audience and it's singularly what they care about.
0: We're speaking with Patrick Keene, uh, Action Network CEO. And Patrick, you've got an extensive career background in, in media, board member at Bleacher Report. You were an early investor in, in Action Network. You worked at CBS, at Google. How early did you think about this as a potential career path for you, specifically this hole in, in the market for, for, for a media company aimed at gamblers?
2: Yeah, as you mentioned, I was an investor in this product when it was really a PowerPoint and an idea because I really did believe when I looked at my, my nephews and friends and, and folks that are that are younger than me, this is, again, as I mentioned, this is what they care about, what they think about. And, you know, to be mercenary for a second, I really did believe that this could be a billion-dollar media company. I think this is sort of the future for how people think about the games they care about, the sports they care about, and what they really think about how they want to consume entertainment. So I sort of uh, in some way selfishly thought this was a big opportunity for me What's as, the- as much— for, for the opportunity for the business as it was for my career, but I, I just think the timing is perfect. and startups, the success is about moments in time, and I think we we couldn't have a better moment in time to build a big business in the category.
0: What's the time frame you see to potentially becoming a billion-dollar media network?
2: Oh, uh, you know, I, it's that's an ambitious I, um, ambition I would love to see. It's hard to put sort of a timing basis on that, but I think it's the future of, of sports. I think it's the future of content. I think it's the future of 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 media to have a subscription-driven, highly vertical, highly specialized content franchise that is in a category that's just exploding. And, and I think we have all those ingredients here at Action Network.
0: And Patrick, we're talking about growth goals. Give us a sense of, of the numbers you guys are seeing. I imagine that the past couple months have been steady, steady growth for you.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've seen explosive growth in terms of subscribers, in terms of users, and in terms of people that are downloading our, our app. You know, we're a private company. I can't, I, I, I'm not able to share all the sort of metrics around the business.
1: But, Ooh, I'm sorry. I, they, they, they're <laughs> not saying Patrick, they're that's, booing.
2: That's okay. You know, I, I, will, I, I will say the numbers aren't small, and we're growing as much as 300% a month just in users, consumers, and audience.
1: From what I know about at least the betting platforms, and I know this is not that. What they measure most is time on platform. Do you see the engagement going up? Uh, how much time are people spending on your platforms and is it increasing?
2: It definitely is. And, and, it, and it's interesting to see that what we're also seeing is it's not just the consumers that are thinking about Sunday football or thinking about Thursday football. Because we're, we're such a helpful platform to inform better, we're seeing people that are looking at women's basketball, college basketball, really any category where there's an opportunity to have edge and an opportunity to have action, I think is, is is really interesting because we have great talent, people like Stucky, people like uh, Blackjack, and others that are really in our platform that are really driving consumers in an entertaining way, but also giving them the edge so that they're not only informing themselves on their own decisions, but, you know, we have a product called Sports Insights, and Sports Insights has been around for well north of a decade, and they have algorithm science and data going back to how does a – how does a road dog perform in a windy game on the road? You know, those kind of things uh, are are for the data-driven sports better, sports enthusiast, uh, completely enthralling. And we want to build and, and continue to inform those people.
0: And when you think about those different subsets of, uh, you were talking about the, the deep end of the pool, shallow end of the pool, et cetera, which one of those, w- what's the profile of the person that's most valuable for you guys from a business standpoint? Is it the casual bettor or is it the, the Bob Vulgaris, the, the super intense avid betters?
2: You know, it's somewhere in between, but closer to the more, to the more avid bettor today. I think what we're we're gonna see is, you know, one of our ambitious goals is, is really appealing to future betters and I think future betters is really any sports fan. I think we were talking earlier but it's the person who might participate in a March Madness pool, a box pool for the Super Bowl, that does an Oscar pool. I mean, these are the people that wanna have the discussion in the office, the discussion with their friends and you know, the the internet being the sort of the massive library of data and information it informs people on how they, how they trade stocks. It informs people on how they buy real estate. Why can't it inform people on how they make bets and how they participate and play with their friends, too?
1: We're chatting with Patrick Keene, CEO of the Action Network. I'm always interested in demographics, Patrick. Break it down for me. All these leagues tell me they're 50-50 gender-wise, just about. What about your clientele?
2: We're definitely, I'll be honest, we're definitely more male today. We're younger and more male, but I think that's going to change over time as well. And being in that demographic today, I don't think is necessarily a negative. Um, You know, one thing that really excites me about this business as well is that I don't have to rely on ads. I've been a media executive for north of 20 years and have been really participating in an ads-driven economy. And when you're fighting digitally against the duopoly of Google and Facebook, which are, you know, 60% of the market and 80% of the growth or whatever the data is today, I I just really like not having those kinds of businesses in my crosshairs and really – Driving a media platform that's more about subscription and licensing and affiliate revenue.
1: i can I can bet that somebody coming from CBS Linear TV and you've hired people from ESPN, you know all about that due revenue stream of subscription and ad model sure does take some pressure off.
2: It does, it does. and it's 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 just really, really tough to play in those in those worlds today. I mean, I think that having a product again that's super vertical, that's super specialized that, people make decisions that are profit and loss to them I I just love being in that category and I think we we have a a, a high a high ceiling and a high TAM as we like to say in this world
1: now you know we always have our ears to the grindstone here I don't know how much you can say hopefully you can help us out here but a little birdie tells me there's a series B funding round coming for the Action Network what what can you let us know about timing how much valuation
2: well you know we're funded by the Cherning group today um, and they funded us into the growth that we see right now. I mean, we'll certainly be in market for funding. I would say in early next year. But those investors, um, you know, we're having great conversations and deep conversations with. But I'll just say there will be more news in January.
1: Okay. Can you say how much you're looking for?
2: I cannot. Okay. Let's more talk. More than a dollar. More than a dollar and less than a billion.
1: Oh, okay. Headline. We got it right now. <laughs> but, but, the, but most interesting, frankly, is going to be I'm um, what. Well, yeah, the dollar figure is great, how much are they getting, but as you know, what shows the perceived strength of the business is going to be at what valuation? And that, that'll, yeah. tell, that'll tell the market where they think this network is going.
2: We'll see. we'll see what that eventually bears out, but one thing that I'm super excited about is these will be names you're familiar with. I think that the leagues, um, you think about teams, and it's not just the bat and ball sports, all of these companies, all of these franchises, all of these leagues know that this is the next frontier of revenue, the next frontier of opportunity. I mean, I thought it was really exciting to see, and I don't know if the, your friends are competitors, but Sports Business Journal, which um, is, is really covers this in a really deep and vertical way, I thought it was interesting. This year, for the first time ever, they had a non-singular executive or human as the number one most important person in the business of sports. They picked me. <laughs> and that was the sports gambler. You know, it, it wasn't Roger Goodell. It wasn't Adam Silver. It was the sports gambler. I think that this is, this is a category, as, as I mentioned earlier, startups and businesses in this category about timing. And I feel so good about our opportunity to time this, this business. More states are going to get locked down. We'll see Illinois. We'll see Pennsylvania, Massachusetts. More and more of these massive states are going to have an opportunity for people every weekend, every evening, whenever they're fancy is to to bet and to be informed about how they bet, and we want to be the first source to help them make those decisions.
1: And Patrick, all the leagues have spent the past six or seven years fighting. I mean, uh, we're talking amicus briefs, fighting legalized sports betting. I've always said that they would find religion when there was enough money for them to find religion. I guess there's enough money these days.
2: There certainly is. I mean, if you look at just New Jersey, I mean, New Jersey is, clo- is, is approaching north of nine hundred million dollars in just three months. I think you know, it's it's really proven itself just in terms of of rake across all the different legalized platforms in New Jersey. But I think those same leagues are super, super excited about this opportunity to get that casual fan to have a little action at the game. I mean, you look at the NBA, Major League Baseball, I think this opportunity for prop betting is is almost bigger or even bigger than the opportunity for for game game outcome betting. Uh, I think that when you when you have this opportunity to sort of bring the fantasy type experience to say, hey, how many three-pointers is Steph Curry going to have in the second quarter is the kind of thing that an average fan understands really well versus the sort of complexity of what's a plus 110, what's a over, what's an under. Um, you know, those kind of things, I think you're going to bring a casual fan into it, and the leagues are super, super excited about that as a revenue opportunity.
1: Yeah, they're probably asking you come up with as many fourth-quarter blowout bets as possible. Just keep people on the screen, keep people engaged. We don't care if they're watching on the primary screen. As long as they're engaged with the game and have a reason to stick around, they are happy.
2: That's absolutely true, and you've seen that in fantasy, and fantasy is a is a infinitesimally smaller business compared to general betting, and that has been the story for the leagues to get more enthusiastic about fantasy. It keeps a fan in the game. It keeps fan watch. It keeps fans watching games out of their network. It keeps fans watching games that might not be their singular focus as a fan just because they care about fantasy and they have
0: action. Another group with with a stake in that, uh, obviously, is the is the big media companies. Uh, how much competition do you anticipate? seeing from, you know, your ESPNs, your Fox Sportses, your NBCs, etc. Because uh, they seem to also be kind of realizing what you've realized, right? That that there is tremendous thirst for content right now surrounding gambling.
2: There certainly is. I mean, we see them as partners today. ESPN is a partner. We have a show, an Action Network show on ESPN+. We've talked to virtually every single media company. They all realize that this is becoming a bigger part of the vernacular for their fans. I mean, it's interesting when I watch the the national games of the week in the NFL, you're starting to see the analysts creep into the, the discussion of mm-hmm. gambling a little bit more. I think all of those medium companies have been a little bit reluctant to embrace the category, but I think with more legality, as we've been mentioning, and the overturn in the Supreme Court, plus just a, you know, I don't know what the term is for it. I always joke there's probably a German term for it, but something that, that took a very long time yet seemingly happened overnight. I feel like this is a category of embrace for media companies that's going to happen overnight. It's not quite there, but it's very soon.
0: And you see yourself as, instead of them creating rival content, you see Action Network as creating the content for them in some cases?
2: I do. I think that we have... We have sort of laid the rails, if you will, and and have been kind of the business to sort of in advance of them provide lots of content. We're creating 40, 50 pieces of content a day that consumers are telling us and raising their hands saying, yes, this is really valuable content. We like it. And I think it's really difficult for a very large multinational media company to turn that ship overnight into having their writers, their videographers, their podcasters, address gambling in a very specific way and address the sports better in a very specific way. We've been doing it since day one at the Action Network.
1: Tell me, what's the most valuable kind of content for your subscribers right now? Long form, short form, how long do they want to be engaged?
2: You know, it's, People are reading articles. They're, they're sometimes getting the snippets of articles. You know, we, we try to create an experience that allows you to get in-depth, to get um, really how you want to consume, but you know, it's people that are highly engaged. They're engaging in the app. An app, obviously, is an experience is different than a desktop one. But it's users reading multiple pieces of content, syncing their bets. You know, we have a product inside the app where you're able to select bets, and you're able to follow your own bets, and you're able to get alerts against those. And that's a business that is just massively explosive for us. It's just people tracking bets and people tracking the action they might have in other places with their friends, and to be able to sort of see in real time and to get alerts, you know, I've, 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 people, I've heard many smart people in the, in the media and app business often say that alerts are the mother's milk of mobile. And uh, for us, we've seen it as well. We want to drive the best alerts, the best information, the best injury reports, and help those people make those decisions. It's best, so interesting. The
1: best alliteration it, I've heard all week. It's so,
0: it's so interesting that you say that. I think the apps, the ones that are available in New Jersey that I've used, do a terrible job of letting you keep track of bets that you've already placed, seeing your historic bets, giving you alerts on games that you've wagered on already. And then you know how much money you it lost is, and you won't do it anymore. It's shocking to me how difficult it is to just get an easy rundown of what, what bets you have open, what bets recently closed, what you've won and what you've lost.
2: Come on, dude, get on the action now. There you go. Hello. This, Hello.
0: This, this is a there. solution to my problem. I love it.
2: You're pitching my own product. There the, other you go, thing yeah. is, the other thing that's super useful that we can do as well is, Say you're getting destroyed in the second half, and you want an opportunity to hedge. Um, we we can alert you. Maybe you have tons of bets, and you're not aware of it. But but um, you know, alerts are something that we have a singular focus on. We think we're the best in the business, and we think you can help make those decisions in the back half, you know portion of a game. And it's super helpful with prop bets. Uh, I was discussing earlier, but we think prop action and prop opportunities are the easiest entree for for fans that that. are are trying to figure out betting but it's it's the thing that you're going to see in venue i know the nba is focused here i'm not saying they're going to have an instant sort of ticket driven business but think about having an app where you and your friends can can have fun in the fourth quarter of a game that's a blowout it'll keep you in your seats it'll keep you engaged and alerts against those kinds of things we think we're going to be really successful with
1: we are chatting with patrick Keane, the ceo of the action network where does the, where do the leagues stand on, I'm not sure, does this help drive ticket sales at all? Does this help settle sort of in venue versus at home? It sounds to me like I'd rather be doing all this at home, even if my broadband is, connection is great in the venue. I don't need to be there for any of this.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you've you pointed out something that's not so trivial, which is the broadband literally in some of these venues is not strong, and they got to figure that out, step one. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think a lot of consumers, whether they're using a mobile device, I mean, you look at here in New York where I live – People are getting on trains and going to Jersey City and Hoboken and turning small small bars into de facto sports books every weekend and every weeknight. Uh, I think that's going to continue to happen. I think it's super convenient to be able to engage in a platform where you're able to do it mobilely and you're able to sort of have your data in your hand. Um, but the teams and the leagues are very focused on this enhancing the in-venue entertainment experience. And we're, the great thing about our platform is we can appeal to any of those users.
0: There's also a lot of states when they legalize it don't legalize mobile, you know, which which means that gambling from your couch might not be an, it's not an option in, in Mississippi, but if you go to a place either a, a venue or a casino down there, uh, you are able to bet you know brick and mortar. So yeah, I, there's I think there's sort there. of
2: a, in some ways a, a sort of a ludicrous protectionary interim strategy to be successful here. I think the reality is. It will be mobile, like anything that p- consumers are engaged in. Um, you know, you need to offer that option. Certainly, people might feel more comfortable to walking to a, to a, a, you know, a book where they can talk to a vendor that can help them. Fill out their slips and do those things, but if you're not focused on mobile as an opportunity, you're missing the the longer term better opportunity to be successful
0: here. Here at Bloomberg, a lot of the gambling coverage that we do covers the business behind it. You know, companies like Sport Radar and Genius Sports and deals that leagues sign, etc. Do you find that your readers care about the the underlying business behind it, or do they really more care about, you know, the the on field and and the way that you know players interact with the gambling?
2: Yeah, our users care about it all. Um, we recently hired Darren Ravel from ESPN, who's really been the sort of marquee sports business reporter there for several years. And Darren covers the culture of sports betting, the entertainment around sports betting, the characters, the icons. And we think that the consumer that's betting on sports is as interested in those things as they are in the game on the field or the game on the court or the game on the ice. We, we, we really want to cover the entire gamut of sports betting sports culture of betting and sports entertainment of does, betting.
1: Does that include the nightmare stories?
2: Absolutely. I mean big beats to our, our users are as interesting as big wins. I mean the person that turns a thirty dollar parlay into fifty grand is something that's really great, but the big the big beats is interesting as the big win.
1: I find it interesting though that I said the nightmare stories and that's your response. I meant the person who loses his house, loses his family.
2: Oh well you know we don't think that's a a, a, a funny thing at all. I mean we, we think that if you look at this category It's about entertainment. If you're really good at it, you're really good at it fifty one and a quarter percent of the time. So to make a living doing this, that's a you know, that's 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 the size of a thimble full of people. But we really think that this is about entertainment. This is about enjoying what you're doing with your friends, family or whomever that might be, but we would never want to to um, to think about this. and the, the, uh, We think about this, absolutely, and the challenges of addiction and things like that, but we're more focused on this being a platform for entertainment and it's being a, flat, a platform for information.
1: Let me just play uh, Corporate Synergies here for fun. What I'm hearing from you and when I think of the other possible partners, you say you produce content for ESPN. Barstool sports for me seems like a no brainer. Like, this seems like there's a lot that, if, if you give me the Venn diagram, you have big overlapping circles here. And Chernin relationships. And Chernin's like. an investor in Barstool as well, yes.
2: Yeah, you guys did your homework. Um, you know, I, I, are, I, w- I guess I would say, are they a sister company, a cousin company? I'm not sure how I would sort of. Kissing cousin. Uh, yeah, I guess. So. Um, <laughs> you know, we've done work with, with Barstool. I mean, I think they're focusing more on sports betting and sports gambling. Um, we think that they're, you're absolutely right, their audience is very similar to ours. We've done some marketing partnerships with them, and just because we share an investor doesn't mean that, you know, we, we get things for free or we get integration instantly. Those, those are the same kind of partnerships I debate with ESPN, Fox Sports, CBS Sports, and, and Turner. Um, but absolutely, I think you're seeing, if you're, if you're appealing to a millennial, if you're appealing to a sports enthusiast, our audiences are absolutely similar.
1: All right, that's Patrick Keene, CEO of the Action Network. Patrick, thank you very much for taking some time.
2: Oh, thank you so much, guys.
1: Thanks, Patrick. All right, Eben, takeaways. For me, the explosion. He he did not say that this was sort of a an evolutionary growth. Like, this is an explosion. I, I imagine his user rate is going to skyrocket. We're going to see the engagement skyrocket. Uh, leagues are thrilled. Everybody's jumping in. Every, even if they're not sure exactly where to go, everybody knows this is where they want to be, or at least plant, plant some flags here. Fox does, ESPN does, Barstool does, they do. If all the media companies there, all the leagues are there, the owners are investing in these sorts of platforms, you know this is going to be some serious business.
0: And we've just hit the tip of the iceberg in terms of jurisdictions across the country that are legalizing this, right? Just this week, we saw D.C. come on board with their initial plan. We saw a push at the federal level to get countrywide legislation. um, As more states come on board, and the big ones, you're talking Florida, New York, Texas, California, when they do, whether it's this year, next year, five years from now, the growth opportunity is huge. And you heard him say it. He thinks it's going to be a billion-dollar-plus
1: Media network. Can't wait for the Series B round we know is coming. Can't wait for the valuation.
0: We'll find out more in January.
1: My goal is if you don't want to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. Feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike.
0: We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first start wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports. The number of the week. Okay, Scott, and let's move on to the the number of the week. Uh, and this is a number uh, two hundred and. $50,000. See, this is where
1: we miss bar, because sometimes we discuss or don't discuss. I'm sorry, Michael, we miss you in more places, but this is one we yeah. really do. Also you and I code, did yeah. not discuss, and $250,000. $250,000? Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. What's $250,000? That
0: is the amount of money that Nike is paying UNC uh, basketball coach Roy Williams this year.
1: Wait, did, did he just sign like a 50-year extension? <laughs> I mean, he, I, he I, just I, signed I, an eight, eight-year year extension. How old um, is Roy Williams? And, and
0: for the first time ever, the university also released his outside revenue streams, which is something that I hope that other schools are going to start doing. Because we we think about the money that these coaches get paid, and they get paid millions of dollars, um, but what we don't see is the money that they get on the side from companies like Learfield companies like Nike, et cetera. And the camps so, and everything. Exactly, else. Yep. exactly. So Roy Williams his base salary is you know there's it's a little under $3 million, but if you add in money from from Learfield $1.4 million, you add in money from Nike 250,000 that goes up every year low. over you, the course. Would you, would
1: you have guessed more or less? Nike for Roy I mean that's, that's UNC. It seems
0: like about quarter of a million? Yeah, you're right. It's it's a, the oh. original Jordan brand yeah. out there. Um, in general, his, his his salary is not all that high. He's not right. in the top 25 of college basketball coaches, which is, I guess, a little surprising given uh, the stature that UNC has within college basketball on the business side. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of turmoil over there Um, But interesting, I would love to see more and more companies start releasing, or more and more schools start releasing the pay their coaches are getting outside.
1: I'm Scott Soschnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soschnick.
0: And I'm Eben Novi williams You can follow me at Novi underscore Williams.
1: We are here each and every week at this time, and catch our Apple podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.